Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of Grace Point Church in Atlantic, Iowa. My name is Don McLean. I'm the senior pastor here at Grace Point. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can check us out at gracepointatlantic.com. And in the meantime, grab your Bible and check out this week's sermon. Turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles to John chapter 6, verses 22 through 35. John chapter 6, verses 22 through 35. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, They themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you are are filled of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to, to eternal life which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him in whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father who gives the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. John chapter 6, verses 22 through 35. Good morning and Happy New Year! Great to be together, even if it is cold, like Emerson said. It's warm here, and uh, hopefully it's warm wherever you are. Those of you who are joining us online this morning, thank you, Stacy, for reading, worship team for leading us. Uh, Emerson mentioned at the very beginning, but in case you weren't tuned in just yet or paying attention, we um, today's Communion Sunday, and so if you are joining with us at home, we do encourage you to please uh, partake from home. Uh, So you can get some crackers and some juice, and you can go get those now. If you didn't already, I'll also give you an opportunity right before when we get to communion. And uh, those of us here in the the building um, should have received one of these little cups when you came in. If you did not, we will bring you one when uh, when we get to the communion in the service. This will have both the bread and the juice that we need when we get to that that part of the service. Uh, And I also just wanted to say, I don't think we put this in the bulletin this week, but uh, it being communion Sunday, uh, I like to... I'm always available for prayer, but I like to just kind of do some more intentionally on Sunday mornings uh, when we serve communion. So if anybody would like to pray with with me afterwards, and if we get a crowd, I'm sure I can get one or two of the elders to come join me. Um, I would, I'll just kind of hover down here after the service is over if you'd like to, if you have anything that you'd like prayer for, I'd uh, love to to pray with you. 
Speaking of prayer, let's pray. Ask God's help with this morning's passage, and we'll get right into it. Gracious Lord, thank you so much for bringing us here. Thank you for heat in our homes and good snow tires, or just tires that are able to handle uh, rough roads, um, snow-covered roads. And uh, we just praise you for those little blessings, and we praise you for the big ones, too. Thank you for... Uh, the heart that longs to worship, that longs to be in the fellowship of the community of believers. And uh, we would just ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to understand what you have for us in this text this morning. Uh, help us, Lord, to... Uh, I, I want to invite you, Lord, to, to set a theme for the year for us here as we talk about where our, our deepest and most profound satisfaction comes from. I pray that you'd help us to see uh, where you want us to find uh, our, deepest, our deepest needs to be met. And so we look to you now, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've all had the experience of of feeling hungry. Hopefully you're not hungry right now, but we all know what it's like to be hungry. And I don't even mean just, you know, kind of a little hungry. I mean, really hungry. Most of us have had even that experience of, of being really hungry, the kind of hungry where your, your stomach kind of growls and maybe it even hurts a little bit. Uh, there's a name for that. You, you know what it is. It's hunger pangs. Hunger pangs. And it's just one of those biology things. Sometimes our bodies actually uh, growl when, when we're that hungry. And, well, if you, you, you heard the text before, you can see why. I, I found myself wondering about hunger this week, and specifically that hunger pangs experience. What causes that? Somehow I, I never, never got that question answered. And so I, I did a little research this week, and, and it turns out that hunger pangs are actually caused by a hormone. It's, it's something our, our bodies do uh, to, to let us know that we need food. And so if we've missed a meal or two, uh, the, the body actually, God has created this mechanism where this hormone is released. It's called motilin or motilin, I think that's how it's said. And uh, it actually goes and it affects the stomach and the small intestines. And they literally start to contract. And it's, you know, so that's where that grumbling comes from. And some people will even experience it as a kind of pain. Uh, it comes from that hormone, and it's, the whole thing is a signal, right? It's designed as this biological signal where your body's like, hey, I need some food. I need some sugar and some carbs and, and whatever else uh, it is. It's, it's a signal. And I was thinking, there's a spiritual version of this, too. There's a spiritual version of hunger pangs. They're not caused by uh, hormones, though. Uh, spiritual hunger pangs are caused by human beings trying to satisfy our deepest longings with things that quite simply are not up to the task. They're not up to satisfying those longings. You may have felt some of these recently. They're quite common this time of year. Uh, Some people call it the post-holiday blues, but really it's a form of spiritual hunger pangs. The gifts are all opened, the family gatherings are done, the days off are all used up, Now it's January, and all we have to look forward to is cold and dark and diets. You know what I mean? That's it. That's all we got now, unless it's your birthday in January, and even that can be a little bleak. And that that sense of letdown, that post-holiday depression, some will call it, I believe is a, a, a spiritual hunger pang. Yeah, it's great to celebrate. Yeah, it's fun to celebrate. Uh, but those holiday celebrations, uh, even the best ones, don't satisfy those deepest needs. And it's not just the holidays. We could have this conversation any time of year because human beings have a tendency to do this, right? We have this tendency to try to satisfy our deepest needs with things that just aren't able to do it. 
And so whenever we try to do that, we feel that same spiritual ache, that same void. Well, this morning I want to talk about, we're going to start the new year. Next week we're going to start a new series. We're going to get into 1 John for the first part of the year. But this morning I wanted to start the new year by talking about God's cure. God's cure for spiritual hunger pangs. And the cure, quite simply, is Jesus. The cure is Jesus. Jesus and only Jesus can satisfy our deepest spiritual hunger. And that is the the point, the lesson of John chapter 6. Now, last week, uh, we looked at the passage right before this one. I kind of put the two together on purpose. Uh, We looked at the the passage last week where Jesus took a walk uh, on on water. He walked on the Sea of Galilee, and you'll remember if if you saw that passage, if you were here, or if you just want to look in your Bible, you can see it. Uh, In that verses 16 through 21, the disciples were in a storm, and Jesus wasn't with them. It wasn't really a full-blown storm, but the winds were were rough, and the waves were rough. And Jesus goes to them in person to help them with that storm. This morning, we look at what happened next. And it's next. There's no time gap here. It's the next day. And what happens the next day is Jesus engages in a lengthy conversation with another crowd of people. And many of them are the same people he was talking to the day before. Uh, In fact, he did a miracle the day before. If your Bible is open, you can see it's the beginning of John chapter 6. And it's the famous miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. And so there was a crowd of people. They were hungry physically. Jesus fed them physically in this miraculous way. Now today, he's going to have a conversation with these. Many of them are the very same people. He's going to talk to them about a different kind of hunger. And so he's going to use their physical hunger from the previous day to talk about the spiritual hunger that they really need to do something about. And so here's what we're going to do with this text. I want to look at just part of the conversation Jesus has with the crowd, because it's actually a long conversation. It stretches this whole long chapter, chapter 6. We won't cover the whole conversation. What I want to do is take the first four exchanges, and that's what I asked Stacy to read for us. Uh, there are four times where they say something, he says something. They say something, he says something. And that happens four times in the verses we're going to look at today. And with each one, we see, we learn something about this spiritual hunger. And really what we get was with the first three, uh, we get three things that do not satisfy. And that's, that's where he starts with them. So we'll, we'll talk about three things that do not satisfy our spiritual hunger. And then we'll talk about the one thing that does. We'll, we'll end there. This morning, And uh, so we'll look at those three things that don't, one thing that does. And then at the end, I'd like to just quickly hit three practical things that we can do to, uh, to live everything, to live it all out, the stuff we're going to talk about this morning. All right, so that, that's our, our plan for the next few minutes. So, so let's get into it. Let's get into the text. Turn to John 6 if you didn't before in a Bible app or your Bible. And uh, let's look at these verses together. So we'll start with what does not satisfy what doesn't satisfy? And, and as I said a moment ago, the, uh, on the day before, Jesus had done one of his truly spectacular miracles. They're all spectacular, but this one just really kind of jaw-dropping spectacular. Uh, he feeds a crowd of 5,000 men, plus I'll, I'll call it the feeding of the 5,000 for shorthand, but you'll just keep in mind it's probably more like 15 to 20,000 people because women and children were included as well. They just counted the men when they did the census of it. And that's a big deal, right? He takes one little boy's lunch and he feeds thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And so the crowd, here's where we pick up in verse 22, the crowd that got to enjoy that wonderful meal the previous day, they want to know where Jesus is. So they kind of wake up the next day and they're like, let's do that again. Where's where's Jesus? 
And so uh, picking up in verse 22. Uh, on the next day, let's just situate ourselves. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, uh, but that his disciples had gone away alone. So the disciples took the boat and they saw when Jesus left and he wasn't in it or when, when they left and Jesus wasn't with them. So they expect to find Jesus on this side, but they can't find him anywhere. That's what's going on here. Uh, other boats from Tiberias uh, came near the place where they'd eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. And so when the crowd saw Jesus wasn't on their side of the lake, uh, nor his disciples, they got into the boats that had come over and they went across to Capernaum. Why? Seeking Jesus. All right, that's end of verse 24. So uh, the, the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 happens on, I didn't bother with the map today, but if you just picture an oval that's bigger at the top, that's the Sea of Galilee. And uh, the Sea of Galilee, the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 happened on the northeast shore, and Capernaum is on the northwest shore. And they know Jesus when they can't find Jesus where he was the day before, and they can't find him on the northeast shore. They say, well, let's go over to Capernaum. That's where he usually likes to hang out, and he did. And so they get in boats, and some of them may have walked across, because it's not that far, walked around, I should say, walked around the lake. Uh, and, and they all go to Capernaum. And the reason they go to Capernaum, this little village, somewhat bigger village, actually, on the northwest side of Galilee, is they want, they want Jesus. They, they want Jesus. And they want food. And, and actually, we know from earlier in the chapter, they want to make him king. So, so that's what they're, they're going. They want to go track down Jesus and see, uh, see what's up for today. Right? That was pretty cool yesterday. What do you got in store today? And so they get to Capernaum, and he's there. Sure enough, he's there. We're told in verse 25 they find him there. And so they, this is where the exchanges start. Here's the conversation. So when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? <laughs> right? so, so they start, here's the first exchange. Uh, they start with a very mundane question. How, how did you, and it's, it's in Greek, it could be kind of how did you get here or when did you get here? But, but it's a very kind of simple, pragmatic kind of a question. How'd you get here, uh, Jesus? And this is where we get the first thing that doesn't satisfy. The first thing that doesn't satisfy is material stuff. Material stuff. Uh, possessions experiences, achievements, uh, the stuff of earth uh, does not satisfy our deepest spiritual hunger. That's what we see in this first exchange. So they've got their question, when did you get here? Uh, verse 25, Jesus doesn't answer them. And uh, I'm sure he frustrated them a little bit sometimes. In fact, you I even see that in this chapter. Uh, he doesn't answer how or when he got over to this side of the, of the lake. Apparently, that's none of their business at this point. They're going to have to wait till it gets written in the Gospels, I guess. Uh, and, and so he doesn't tell them about the walking across the water. He doesn't tell them that. Instead, he, he goes after their motives. Right? So he's going to challenge. So remember, the day before, the whole reason he'd withdrawn drawn from that crowd, went up on a mountain to pray, sent his disciples away, was because he knew they wanted to make him king. That crowd of people was so impressed by the miracle, they wanted to impress him into service and make him king. And so he's going to really pick up at there. And he says, the only reason you've come looking for me is that you want to fill your bellies. You want to fill your bellies again. That's verse 26 and 27. He says, when they found him, oh no, 26, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. 
Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Fundamental truth that he's working off of in those two verses is that a full stomach doesn't last. A full stomach does not last. And it's just, it's just simple biology. We all have this. We all know what he's talking about here. Uh, you can have the best meal in the world, right? Steak and everything you like, whatever you like. You have the best meal in the world. A few hours later, you're hungry again, right? That's why you can have a big Christmas feast at 2 o'clock, and by 7 o'clock, you're ready for some pie, right? I mean, it's just how our bodies work. The satisfaction of eating a meal is inherently temporary. It's inherently temporary. And so what does he say about those inherently temporary things? See, he's going to use food here as a stand-in for all of the material stuff. And what does he say? He says, don't make the inherently temporary stuff your top priority. That's verse 27. Do not devote your life to material satisfaction. Instead, devote your life to food, material, or to satisfaction that leads to eternal life. That's the lesson of the first one here. He says pretty much the same thing in the Sermon on the Mount. It's different words, but it's exactly the same message. Matthew chapter 6, verse 31, uh, in the, it's kind of in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus tells, tells people, he says, uh, Do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Right? Don't get all caught up in your material stuff, he says. For the Gentiles or the nations seek after all those things, and your Heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. So, so seek God first. What's he saying in, in the Sermon on the Mount? What's he saying here in this text? He's saying the material stuff will never satisfy your deepest needs, so don't make the material stuff your highest priority. It's just not going to satisfy. I uh, mentioned the holiday blues uh, a few minutes ago, that, that feeling of let down that uh, many people do experience. You know, this is kind of a, a, I'm not just making stuff up, right? You can read in newspapers and magazines. This is a noted experience. Many people feel that let down after, after Christmas. And I think this right here is one of the big reasons why, right? Which you, you have going on in these first couple of verses. Uh, people think that the stuff will satisfy, right? And, and that's the problem, right? They think a, a new game system or a new phone or a new car or a new whatever it is will Will, will fill them up. It'll fill that hole on the inside. That's why we have just this, this kind of outpouring of materialism. Or, or others will, will think that, you know, the celebration will, will satisfy, right? And, 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 you know, for some, you know, some have enough self-awareness to say, you know, I get it. I get that it's not the presence, right? You get a little older, you start to realize that, and you're like, well, it's not the presence that's satisfying. It's the experiences, the experiences will satisfy. It's the, it's the family, right? It's getting the family all together. That's, you know, I, I understand it's not about the gifts, but it's, it's the family, right? That family first thing. It fits our narrative very well, right? If we just get everybody together, I don't care if there's any gifts at all, but if we can enjoy a nice meal and not argue too much about politics, you know, that'll fill me up. That'll fill the deep, dark hole inside of me. That'll fill up the void. But it doesn't. It doesn't fill it any more than a, a tree full of presents does. Uh, the material stuff, the stuff of earth, doesn't satisfy. It doesn't. It has a temporary kind of a satisfaction, but like a like a, a loaf of bread or a really good meal, the satisfaction is inherently temporary. It doesn't satisfy our deepest, deepest longings. 
So don't make it your highest priority, Jesus says. The second thing that he talks with them that does not satisfy our spiritual hunger is uh, man-centered spirituality. Man-centered spirituality. Human efforts. Human efforts to please God do not satisfy. Uh, We see this in the second exchange. It's verses 28 and 29. Here we go. Uh, Then they said to him, so they go first each time. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So Jesus challenges their materialism, right? You guys are just here for the bread. He challenges that in verses 26 and 27. That prompts their second question. And I think what's going on with the second question, sometimes it's a little hard to see the the thread in in some of John because he writes with so many metaphors, but, but I think what's going on with the second question is they're trying to justify themselves. Right, so he's kind of caught them a little bit because they're like, yeah, you're right. We were just here for the bread, actually. And so if Jesus wants to talk about spiritual things, they're like, oh, okay, well, what does God want from us, Jesus? Right? And so it's this kind of a, a self-justifying sort of a question. What does God want? Or as John records it, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Now, that sounds like a great question, doesn't it? I think it does. I mean... What a great question to be asking. I hope you ask it. I ask it. Say, you know, how, how can I please God, right? What do I need to please God? It sounds like such a good question. But in its context here, the problem with this question is that it's naive at best, and it's arrogant at worst. It's naive at best, arrogant at worst. And the reason I say that is that it is rooted in the assumption that they can do it. Right? So it's rooted in man-centered religion. Tell us what God wants and we'll get her done. Right? Tell us what he wants and we'll do it. Tell us the works God requires so that we can do them. Which means there's a fundamental assumption they, they have when they ask the question. The question is, uh, the, the assumption is that they will be able to please God. If he would just tell them what it is that he wants from them, they will be able to do it. Now, of course, we have the entire Old Testament to prove to us that that assumption is wrong. But, but that's where they're still at. If you just tell us, all right, Jesus, you're a spiritual man. You want to talk about spiritual things. Tell us what God wants from us, and we'll do it. We'll make sure God is pleased with us. And that mentality is all around us, right? It's, it's, it's uh, endemic. It is, it's inherent to our fallen sinful nature because it's this fundamental assumption that we can do it. it it's really, it's the essence of, of man-centered spirituality. We see it all the time. Every time... Uh, Every time a famous person dies and we assume that that famous person who showed no sign of spirituality is now in heaven, right? You see the memes fill up Facebook and Twitter and all the rest. Well, of course that person is in heaven because everybody goes to heaven. Uh, every time somebody says, you know, you ever had that conversation with somebody? Why, are you, why do you think you're going to go to heaven? I'm going to go to heaven because I'm a good person. Right? Whenever you hear those words, it's this same mentality the crowd is right here, has right here. I got this. I got this. I can do it. In fact, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. In fact, I'm, I'm such a good person. God's kind of lucky to have me, if you think about it. That's the mentality. With one sentence, Jesus throws the whole thing right out the window. It's verse 29. Jesus answered them. So they want to know, tell us the works of God so we can do the works of God. Jesus says the work of God is that you believe in the one whom God has sent. I love what he does here. The work of God is not work. This is where Paul is going to get it all when he writes Galatians and Romans. Uh, The the work of God is not work. The work of God is believing. What does God want from us? God wants us to believe in the Savior 
whom God has sent. And that's why man-centered spirituality, anything that revolves around what I can do or you can do to please God, it, it's never going to satisfy. And we could talk about not satisfying him, kind of in that, that theological sense in which God is, we can do all the good works in the world and they will never be enough to reach his perfect, high, righteous standards. But it also doesn't satisfy from our side. Precisely because it doesn't satisfy him, it doesn't satisfy us either. And so again, we can do all the good works in the world, but that, that void will still be there. We won't, doing all the good works in the world that anybody can do and being thought of as the nicest person and all the rest that you could pile on, they do not lead to the joy and the peace that only comes from the free gift of the gospel. It's man-centered spirituality. Does not satisfy, Jesus says. The third thing that does not satisfy uh, is miraculous signs. That's the next thing he engages with them about. Not even miracles can fill the spiritual void. Not even miraculous signs can satisfy our deepest longings. And this is what he says in uh, verse 30, 31, this uh, next exchange. So picking up in verse 30. So they said to him, uh, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, actually you're going to quote scripture to him, he gave them bread, the he being Moses, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Or at least he being Moses in their minds. And so, again, context, why are they responding this way? In verse 29, Jesus tells them they need to believe and, and he doesn't come right out and say it yet. He will in another verse or two. But really what he's saying is you need to believe in me, right? You need to believe in the one who's sent from heaven. That's the work God wants you to do. That is a bold claim. And they recognize that this is a bold claim, which is why they ask him to show his credentials, right? So, so Jesus says, well, here's the work of God. You're not going to please him with your good works. You need to believe the, the one that he sends to you. They're like, whoa. Well, why should we take your word for that, Jesus? Show what, what, and so, as they say, what miraculous sign will you give that we may see the sign and believe you? And they bring Moses into the discussion. And so they say, our ancestors had manna, right? Moses gave them bread in the desert. What are you going to do? What are you going to do, Jesus? I mean, are you saying you're, you're more important than Moses? I mean, and, and that's really the tenor of it. What are you going to do for us, Jesus? And again, he answers them in a way they are not expecting. He has a, a way of doing that. And so verse 32, Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So they want to talk about Moses, so he starts there. He starts with Moses, and what he starts with is a correction. Right? It's like, guys, Moses didn't give you the manna. It's a very important point. God, Moses didn't give you the manna. God gave you the manna. Moses was just the vehicle. Right? Moses was just the conduit. And so he reminds them of this, corrects their theology. And then he, he engages this request for a sign. And he says, the sign is here. The sign is right here. Just as God gave your ancestors manna back in the desert. Right? They're talking about Exodus. Now God's giving you an even better manna. Now you're getting, and there's a deliberate comparison, now you're getting true bread, which kind of insinuates that the manna wasn't true bread, right? The manna was just 
what was it? It was temporary food, right? And so now you have the true bread from heaven. And so uh, unlike manna, which is here today and gone tomorrow, remember that? It was literally here today, gone tomorrow. If they tried to save it for the next day, it was filled with maggots. Right? So manna, here today, gone tomorrow, but the true bread lasts forever. And so, and so he says the true bread gives eternal life. It's eternal in its impact. And so again, he's, he's engaging this issue of satisfaction. Uh, manna didn't satisfy. Not for very long, right? It, it, I mean, they needed it. It filled them up. And so he's not denigrating that miracle, but he's identifying, he's touching on, he's pointing out the inherent temporary nature of the satisfaction that manna was able to do. And so it, it didn't satisfy them, but for, for more than just a few hours. And it didn't satisfy them spiritually either. That was the thing about the, the manna in the desert. Uh, remember how they responded to the manna? I mean, they liked it at first, but before you know it, they're complaining about it, and they're trying to get it their own way, and they're complaining against God, and they're demanding, okay, the bread was fine, but how about some meat? And so they start demanding more and more from him. Just like the crowd in John 6. There are intentional echoes here in John 6 of, of what happened in the desert. Uh, they're demanding more. I mean, I mean, just think about this for a minute. Jesus, remember I told you, this is... Many of the people he's talking to here in today's text are the same people that he fed miraculously the day before. Less than 24 hours earlier, they were feasting on a miracle that he did for them in the desert. Or, well, in the wilderness. It wasn't the desert, but it was, out, it was outside of the villages. It was out in the wilderness. And here they are asking for a sign? He just fed 5,000 people, well, 20,000 people miraculously, and they're asking for a sign. It's like asking Alabama why they can't win any football games. <laughs> I mean, come on, guys. What are you, what are you talking about? Why are, seriously, why are they asking for a sign when he just did that the day before? Here's why. The problem with miraculous signs is they never satisfy. Right? We always want to see the next one. These folks here in John 6 are just like the folks in the, in the desert, the Israelites in the desert. Yeah, sure, you fed all those people yesterday, Jesus, but what have you done for me lately? And I hate to say it, but we're not much different. We're no different. We're no different. We are, we are vulnerable to the same spiritual amnesia. Yeah, you took care of me yesterday, Jesus. You provided for that financial need. I didn't know where the money was going to come from. You healed that illness. I just couldn't get over it, but you healed me. You got me home safely through that ice storm on Friday. But what have you done for me lately? Yeah, you did those things, but why should I trust you today? And I think the lesson is here with them and for us is that even miracles, even the mighty works of God do not satisfy that deep spiritual hunger. Right? They're just a very... It's, Miracles are wonderful, right? And they have their function, they have their purpose, they're wonderful when God does them, but they don't fill the empty place any more than a loaf of bread or a lifetime of religion. They just don't satisfy. So what's the answer? What does satisfy this deep spiritual hunger? Well, Jesus tells us in the fourth exchange, and you could study the rest of this passage on your own and see the rest of it, but, but really, he, he lands us on the answer there in verses 34 and 35. So what does satisfy? They said to him, sir, give us this bread. Always. Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. It's faith in Jesus. That's what satisfies. It's Jesus. 
putting our faith in him, trusting in him, believing in him, being regenerated, becoming one of his sons or daughters, that's that miracle he does when we put our faith in him, that satisfies our deepest spiritual longing. The fourth comment from the crowd, remember they start each exchange in this particular text, the fourth comment from the crowd, this time it's not a question, it's a request. And the request is, give us some. Okay, Jesus, if you're saying you have bread that's even better than the bread Moses gave us with, hit us up. All right, we want... We want some of that bread. We'll take a lifetime supply, please. And, and it's interesting. This is a theme running through John. At least this, this is the second time we've seen it. Because you get the same sort of a response in chapter 4. So again, on your own, you might go back and read John chapter 4 today or sometime this week. Because in John chapter 4, that's where Jesus has the encounter with the woman at the well. And she responds the same way this crowd does, right? And so Jesus, there it's water. Here it's bread. In chapter 4, it's water. And uh, she needs to draw water from the well, and he ends up engaging her in a conversation about living water, right? I have water, he says, that is far better than the water in this well. And when she hears that he has water that will never run dry, she says, I'll take some, please. Right? Give me some of that water so I don't have to come to the well anymore. And, and just like this text, they're having two different conversations, right? He's talking about a spiritual reality, living water. She's talking about getting out of her chores so that she doesn't have to come to the well every day. And uh, eventually she sees it, though. The Lord helps her see it, and she understands what he's really saying. But, but you have the same sort of a dynamic going on here. Uh, they, they're taking him at one level. He's talking at another level. And so they say, oh, if you've got bread that's even better than Moses, we'll take some. Right? We, that would save us a lot of money and a lot of trouble. So, sir, give us this bread. Give us this bread always. And this is where Jesus, and again, I think he's going to answer in a way they don't expect. He comes right out and he says, it's me. Right? Up until this point in this text, he's been hinting at it, but now he says it plainly in verse 35. I am the bread of life. It's me. I'm the true bread from heaven, Jesus says, that I've been telling you about for the last few minutes. I will satisfy your deepest longings, and all you have to do, all you have to do is come to me and believe. Come to me and believe, and I will satisfy your deepest longings, he says. And that invitation still stands. It still stands today. Some time has passed, but nothing has changed. He hasn't changed. Human beings haven't changed. Jesus says the same thing to us today. I will satisfy your deepest longings, and all you have to do is come to me and believe. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And that's what we have to do. For bread, think of the imagery from the text, for bread to satisfy, we have to eat it, right? Maybe you had a, a Christmas feast or a New Year's Day feast and there was some, some bread on the table. It wasn't enough to just be in the basket in the middle of the table. You have to eat the bread to be satisfied. For water to quench our thirst, we have to, we have to open up the bottle and drink it. Right? You have to drink the water for the water to quench your thirst. That's how it is with Jesus. If we want this true satisfaction he's talking about here, uh, we need to believe in him, and we need to, to draw near to him. We need to keep drawing near to him. Uh, in a moment, we're going to share the Lord's Supper together, like I said before. And I love that we get to start the new year that way. Just here we are, day two of the new year. We're going to start it with communion as a church. Uh, but before we do that, let me just... Uh, finish up by pointing out three things we can do. Right, so three kind of practical things that we can do to draw near to Jesus. And if you like, you can think of them as uh, uh, 
three, three things on the menu, right? Three spiritual meals for a satisfying new year. If you want to grow in your satisfaction in Jesus Christ this year, make sure these are on the menu. First, get into the Word. God's Word. Get into the Word every day. Every day, right? We eat every day, so eat every day. Eat every day. And, and you know, maybe it'll be a, a few chapters a day. Maybe it's just a few verses a day. Those are both good approaches. I'm not going to denigrate one versus the other. You know, they're both. The important thing is that we're eating daily, right? In, in his word daily. Be in his word daily. Find some way to do it. There's so many good resources. And if you don't have any idea, I'll get in touch with me. I'll help you find some. But be in his word. And, and if you do, he will satisfy. Jesus will satisfy your soul. Number two, be faithful in prayer. Pray. We, we cannot find satisfaction in a relationship with God if we never talk to him. Right? It's just like any other relationship, any friendship or love relationship, uh, your spouse, your children, whoever, or your parents. Uh, we cannot find satisfaction in a relationship if there's no communication. So talk to him. Talk to God. Listen to God. Just sit in silence with God. That's fine. Sometimes we sit down for prayer. We don't know what to say. And we're like, oh, I'm doing something wrong. That's fine. Right? Do you ever just sit and watch TV with your wife or your husband? That's fine, right? You're, 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 even if nobody's saying anything, you're saying something. God likes that too, right? So, so spend time with God in prayer. And, and if you do, Jesus will satisfy your soul. And then third, third one I want to suggest is worship. Worship the Lord. Spend intentional time worshiping him that includes this but it also includes private worship do that that as well because here's the thing about worship and and that includes music it includes writing out prayers it includes anything where you're oriented to him rather than yourself right i mean we most of us think about music first but anything where you're oriented to him and 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 heaven and 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 spiritual realities because that's the thing about worship that's what worship does for us worship by its very nature lifts our eyes up right it lifts our eyes up to the lord and isn't that what jesus told the crowd to do right they come to him and they're like give us bread right give us we want give us right here we need right here what's going on right here and he says look up right look up to ever to true bread from heaven right he is the one of the, the big thing he's doing in this whole conversation in that chapter is they want to talk about what's going on down here they want to make him king they want him to make them bread and he wants them to, to look up here to the things that last forever. And, and worship, worship is so valuable. Worship helps us to do that, to get our eyes off of merely the stuff of earth and up onto the one who can satisfy our souls. So God's word, prayer, worship. Would you pray with me, please, as we begin to prepare our hearts for communion? Lord, we thank you so much for who you are to us and I simply want to pray for myself and my brothers and sisters and everyone who's, who's uh, listening to this, uh, this sermon, whether in this room or joining us online, that you would help us to seek our satisfaction uh, in you. Uh, may we be forging habits, uh, and, and maybe some of those habits are already in place, uh, forging them stronger, making them stronger. Uh, habits and mindsets and ways of approaching our lives that are reinforcing that our, our deepest satisfaction is found only in you. You give us many good gifts. We thank you for them. They are, they are good, uh, 
but they are all designed to point to you. And so I pray for myself and each one of us here that you'd help us to, to remember that and to keep it ever before us as we uh, come into this new year now. Lord, I pray you would um, forgive us of our sins as we come now to your table. Um, we just recognize that. We just acknowledge that we are frail uh, and, and, and uh, regenerated, but still prone to wander. And so I pray for myself and for those here that you would forgive us of our sins. If there's anything we need to confess to you, please bring it to mind that we might do so, even, even in these moments as we get ready to take the bread and the cup. And uh, Jesus, just even, especially here with the bread and the cup, focus our minds on you, the one who satisfies our deepest, our deepest needs. It's in Jesus' name that we are able to pray such things because of what you did for us, Jesus. And so we thank you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.